There we go. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire as they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is that the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, 
a rooster began to crow. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the life and the grace that, and the power that flows through your word. And I pray that that would rest upon each of us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Three uh, major characters in this, in this passage. Obviously, Jesus, uh, he's the center of it all, and he's the center of this passage. But there's also Judas, uh, the one who betrayed him, and then there's also Simon Peter. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to, uh, I'd like to take those three characters and, and, and break it up and look, look at each one and start off really with Judas. The question being, Why? Well, why did he do this? Why, why did he betray? I mean, he had spent, he'd spent three years with Jesus. He had seen, <coughs> excuse me, he'd seen the, the teaching that Jesus did. He had, he had seen the miracles that Jesus did. Uh, why at this point does he break down and, and deny, his, deny his Lord, deny his master, deny his rabbi? Valerie, would you bring me my water? Sorry, guys, but... Uh, a little scratchy, so let me uh, let me just take a, a hit of this stuff, and then I'll turn around and yeah, that's good. You see, I grew up in a church that didn't have a water fountain. Mm mm We'd be sitting out there, and the, and the services were not short. And not only did we not have a water fountain, we didn't have an air conditioner. And when the the speaker would take some water. It made me unhappy. <laughs> we have water fountains out there, and we have air conditioning. So anyway, where was I? Why did he do this? Well, the Scripture certainly it doesn't come right out and say, this is why Judas did it, but it gives us a big clue. And in fact, I, I think it's telling us flat out why he did it. The reason he did it was because he loved money. When Jesus was being anointed at Bethany, and the, the, the alabaster jar was broken and the expensive perfume was poured out. It was Judas who said, why this waste? Uh, why, this could have been sold and, 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 the, and the money given to the poor. But John blows his cover because over in John chapter 12, he says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He's keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. And the more that's put in it, the more he can help himself too, see. Judas loved money. Judas was not the first, certainly not the last, and there probably will still be others to fulfill 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves in many griefs. So, well, you say, well, now, do you think Judas did this for money? I mean, there's only 30 pieces of silver. Look. It was enough money to buy a field near the capital city. I mean, how much money would it take to buy a field near Washington, D.C. today? It, it was a chunk of change. And so, yeah, we, uh, we tend to dismiss unfaithfulness with our money. I knew you were going to enjoy this part of the service, so... Had Wayne sing fast songs right before we got into it. <laughs> we tend to dismiss that. 
I mean, it's not a problem for us. The problem is the fact that the church won't stop talking about it because all they ever want is money. Immorality is a problem, at least if it's somebody else's immorality. It's a problem. Uh, if you murdered somebody, that'd probably be a problem. Um, bad language. If somebody strikes their, their thumb with a, with a, with a hammer and, and doesn't say shoot, <laughs> but substitutes one of those worst words, well, yeah. But robbing God? Saying to God, hey, uh, I I know that you gave this to me and I know that everything I have belongs to you, but I can control it a whole lot better than you can. And you don't know what you're talking about when you tell me what to give to you. Yeah, I I just, I wanted to throw that in. 30 pieces of silver, that's a lot of of money. And And I suspect it had something to do with the motivation of someone who was a thief and loved money. Back in uh, 1970, there was a, a musical that came out, Jesus Christ Superstar, that gave a different motive for, for Judas and why he, he may have done this. Um, it was a very controversial movie, uh, musical when it came out. It wasn't a movie at that point, but musical when it came out. And there have been uh, a couple of companies who've done, done it in town lately. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I, I think if, it, if somebody's got their head on right about how to do it, you can probably do it right. But uh, well, I don't think these companies did. But w- one of them was, uh, uh, one of the people involved in it was saying to me the other day, you know, we were wondering why this thing was so controversial when it first came out. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, it, it uh, essentially denies the deity of Jesus Christ and makes Judas a sympathetic character and you're wondering why was this controversial? Um, In 1970 it was controversial. It should still be controversial today. just isn't quite so much. But what they attributed to to Judas in making him a sympathetic character is that he was just disillusioned. You know, he'd been following Jesus and Jesus... You know, he was expecting him to, to do great things. He was expecting him to, to cast out the Romans. He was expecting him to set up the kingdom and establish a government. And, and Jesus just wasn't doing it. And, and Judas just became disillusioned about it all. <clears throat> Disillusionment is part of the deal. The only thing that you can battle disillusionment with is faith. That's why... The just shall live by faith. The just will walk by faith. If you, if you have never experienced disillusionment in your life, you're not paying attention. I mean, the, the Jews became disillusioned with Moses so many times. You brought us out here to starve. You brought us out here to die of thirst. We were so happy back in Egypt. And they had seen, I mean, they saw God split the Red Sea and they'd seen him do such great things. You know, and we, we tend to think, well, you know, if I were to see God split the Red Sea open, man, that would nail it for me for the rest of my life. Really? Did, did anybody hear what Justin had to say? 
You know, my, my, my life has been totally changed. If you knew me 40 years ago, and, and none of you did, praise God. But those who did know me 40 years ago, who now find out what's going on in my life, it's like, no way. Yes, way. And even if you didn't know me 40 years ago, and even if you don't know Justin, you know you. And what God's done in your life. But we still tend to become, we tend to become disillusioned. The people became disillusioned with David because Absalom came and politicianed them and, and, and won their heart. You know, if, man, if I were in charge, things would be a lot better for you. You should vote for me. They became disillusioned with Jeremiah because Jeremiah wouldn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He would only tell them what God had told him to say. Yes, disillusion is part of it, but understand this. The Scripture explains it. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. In spite of the fact that there's two commas in there, that's a very simple sentence. And the concept is very simple. If you're able to understand everything your God does, you don't have much of a God. And you don't have the one that the Bible talks about. Because his thoughts aren't your thoughts. His ways aren't your ways. And the things that he does are so far beyond what we know. We're, we're going to see some of that here a little bit later on. But faith, by faith, we know that in everything he does, in fact, in everything, he's at work. He's at work for the good of those who love him, those who've been called according to his purpose. Judas, greedy, disillusioned, all of the above, somewhat like us. Jesus, and as I say, of course, he's the, he's the main character. He's the central figure here. And uh, I love verses 4 through 6. The, the true order of things on that night is established by 4 through 6. Jesus, knowing that all, all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I love it. Two things here. First of all, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And to know the future is power, but it's also a terrible burden. You know, about how do I, do I try to change this? What, can I change this? What, what, what should I, I mean, if you knew that before the day was over, today, the car crash was going to happen with either you or a loved one and they were going to be taken out of this world. Could you, could you handle that? Could, I mean, is that, so, is that something you could deal with? And it doesn't have to be a car crash. No. Only God has the, the ability to be able to withstand knowing the future, to be able to carry that burden and to be able to wield that power and, and wield it in the right way. And Jesus, make no mistake about it, is, is God. And Jesus was in control. And I love this scene. I would, I would have loved to have been there. There are places in the Bible where I kind of go, man, I would have loved to have seen their faces. 
And one of them is when Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And the next thing you know, they're all laying on their backsides. And he says again, now who are you looking for? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth? I told you I'm him. Let them go. You know, and with, and with just three simple sentences, who are you looking for? I am he. Who are you looking for? All of his disciples are able to avoid being arrested. He's in control. He, he's in charge. Over in, in uh, chapter 15, earlier that night, he had, he had told them, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. That's the devil, for those of you who don't know. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now, for years I've read this passage of Scripture, and I've zeroed in on uh, what, what has jumped out to me from it has been, he has no hold over me, and, and he doesn't. But this week, I don't know, just kind of for the first time, I caught, oh, he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father's told me to do. You know, the Satan's got an agenda when he comes after you, but God's got one too. And his trumps the enemy's agenda. So when, so when, he, when, when the enemy comes against us, it's either going to be so that the world may learn how much God loves us or how much we love God. And we want it to always be how much God loves us. But we ought to already know that. And sometimes go, maybe this is just so they can see how much I love God. That was certainly the case with Jesus on this particular night. And understand that Jesus was not really the one on trial that night. We were. Judas was on trial that night, guilty. Cared more about money, cared more about stuff. Wasn't, wasn't able to work through his disillusionment in spite of being right there with, with God for, for three years of a period of time. Betrayed Jesus. The religious establishment was on trial that night. Guilty. See, the trial by night was illegal in the first place. Striking the defendant was illegal in the second place. Bribing witnesses, bringing them in, which uh, the other gospel writers let us know they did. That's, I don't know, if, I don't, is, bribing, is bribery illegal? I mean, but it's wrong in any event. Being, being, having the judge, the high priest, do the questioning. And by the way, you know, when, he, when, when, when the guy struck Jesus and said, you know, is that any way to answer the high priest? He wasn't the high priest. He was the father-in-law of the high priest. I, does that trump being high priest? I don't know. But he wasn't, he wasn't even the high priest. But being, being questioned by the high priest, which ultimately he was later on with Caiaphas, uh, was not lawful. And they really had no charge to bring against him. When they took him to Pilate, and this is later in this particular chapter, when they took him to Pilate, and Pilate says, okay, you know, what, what has he done? What is he guilty of? They say, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like we really don't have anything to say what he's done, but we want you to do something to him anyway. 
And all because he threatened their security. He threatened their status quo. The political establishment was on trial and found guilty. They, they condemned a man they knew to be innocent. That happens occasionally. It certainly happened on that night. Five times in the gospel. Luke uh, 23, 4, Luke 23, 14, John 18, 38, John 9, 4, John 9, 6. Five times Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against him. His, 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 his wife sent him a, a message saying, I've suffered much because of this man in a dream tonight. Let, he's an innocent man. Let him go. He knew he was an innocent man. And yet he condemned him to death. The political system was on trial. Found guilty. And Simon Peter was on trial and found guilty. We, we often admire Peter and his boldness, his courage. We identify with him. Uh, in, in truth, I mean, when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, of course, Peter was, was truly bold. But when the Holy Spirit was not the motivation behind Peter's actions, uh, it was just simply bravado. And, and bravado is, is, is a false boldness. It's a bold manner. It, uh, a show of boldness intended to impress, intimidate, and intended to cover up the fact that I am scared out of my mind. And we do that a lot. Oh, yeah, Peter stepped out of the boat, and uh, Peter uh, drew his sword well, one of those was okay. One of them probably wasn't okay. Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost. That was definitely okay. Uh, and, I, and I've heard it said, well, after the day of Pentecost, Peter was, uh, uh, he, he was changed from being, from being uh, scared to being bold most of the time. But he still felt, I mean, you know, I, there, when, I, when I came to the Lord, there were things in my life that the Lord just touched and they went, bam, changed. And there were other things in my life that we're still working on. Yeah. And Peter, Peter had a besetting sin, and his besetting sin was fear. Now, the only people who do not have a besetting sin are people who have so many besetting sins that they don't know which one it is. But for the most part, we have, a, we have besetting sins in our life that we have to deal with. And, and, and Peter's was fear. And even long after the day of Pentecost, when the revival started in Antioch and, and Peter came up there, Paul said, I had to, I had to oppose him to his face. He, he said this in writing to the Galatians. And this is the reason why. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He used to hang out with the, with the people. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Hello. <laughs> afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was an issue in his life. And God knew that was an issue in his life. When he called him to be a, a, an apostle, when he called him to be a disciple, he knew that was an issue in his life. He knows what the issues are in your life, too. He's still got a plan for you. He, he, he still can use you and work things out. Peter denies Christ. First denial is, is, is a girl, little girl. 
probably. I mean, you know, maybe not eight or something, but certainly not uh, 20. Um, Peter wasn't the only one who went with Jesus to the high priest's house. John went. Now, he doesn't mention himself, doesn't mention his name in here because John never mentions his name in, in his gospel. But, uh, but you know when he's talking about himself. And this other disciple uh, went with Peter, and the other disciple was known to the high priest. And, and he goes into the courtyard with Jesus. Peter's staying outside, and then the other disciple comes back and brings, speaks to the girl on duty at the door and brings Peter in. And this is, this is the part where it's the easiest. This, this, is, this is where it needs to be cut off, right here. Because when he, when he brings Peter in, the servant girl asks Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? In other words, they already know John's one of his disciples. John hasn't denied him. And I don't know if John's standing right there. He probably had, had, had moved off. I'm quite sure he'd probably moved off. Or Peter would have been so intimidated, he would have said, yes, I am one of his disciples. But, you know, the, he's got, he's got, the, he's got he's, all he's got is just a servant girl standing there. It's just, just the two of them. She knows he's with John. And for some reason, for some reason, he says, I am not. Can anybody identify with that? You see, the, if at that point in time, I think he would have said, yes, I am, I don't think any of the rest of it would have happened. But you get, and, and what trips us up isn't usually initially a big, bold encounter, but it's that, it's that, it's that little thing. It's that little bitty thing. Where we're, where we're just kind of caught off guard for a second. And, oh, well, I don't want to take the time to talk about it. Or, or uh, that'd be inconvenient. Yeah, we just blow it off and, and go on. It's the, it's the easiest way to do it. Strike one. And then it's cold. And he goes and he's, he's standing by the fire. He's joined the enemy around the fire. And, of course, that's a dangerous place. I was brought up to fear the world. I was brought up to fear that, you know, if I went, if I, if I, if I was, if I went someplace where sinners were, not only would I get sinner cooties, <laughs> but if Jesus came back at that moment, I wasn't going because I'm in a bowling alley. Jesus, please come back at 11.30 on Sunday morning. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that was my prayer growing up. I was taught to fear the world. So we were over here, and that was wrong. But I think that things have swung so far to the other side that we're now basically at the place where whatever's going on, we're in. Whatever they're doing... Well, we're for it. You know, or I, I'm, I'm part of it. I'm with you fellers. They ask him, surely you're not one of his disciples too. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm with you guys. You know, here we are. 
Now, you have to listen to the Holy Ghost. Most of the time, we're supposed to be here somewhere because we're salt and light in the world. And if you're afraid of the world and you never touch it, you ain't salt and light in the world. Margaret would yell at me for saying ain't, but you, you are not salt and light in the world if you never touch the world. So, you know, you do touch it at times. You do become involved in it. Uh, but at the, same, at the same time, if you get over here and you get totally immersed in it and you're doing whatever they're doing, you're not salt and light either because the world's a dark place and you got, you're supposed to be light. The world has no flavor. It really doesn't. I mean, initially it's kind of like, ooh, this is good. It's cotton candy, people. It has no flavor. No nourishment, no, none, of, none of that to it. So most of the time it's probably spent there. Now occasionally the Holy Spirit's going to say, you get over here right now. And when he does, you need to get over here. And occasionally the Holy Spirit's going to give you an assignment and he's going to give you an anointing. And he's going to give you the power to go, you get over here right now. We're going to do something. We, we, we are going to rumble against the devil right now. So let's go get in the ring. You know? Most of the time spent here. Simon Peter's by the fire. This time it's not a little servant girl. This time it is they and the gang. You're not one of his disciples too, are you? We saw that John guy there. Are you one of them? No, no. I, I just, uh, we, we just happened to come in at the same time. Strike two. And then the third denial comes and it gets dangerous because you see it gets, it gets deeper and deeper and thicker and thicker and harder and harder. That's why it's best to, you know, just take it, take it at the very beginning and, and meet it head on and go with it. But the third time, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off challenges him. And, he, and he's not just a relative of the, and I'm sure the man was big and ugly. He's not just a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off. He was there. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? No, 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 no. No, there were a bunch of people in the garden. You, you, you were, you're thinking about his disciples. I, you say, I, I was, I was I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guard or something, you know. You see my sword. Yeah, I saw your sword all right. Now, there are times to draw the sword, and, and it's when God tells you to. There are times to be bold. And when God puts boldness in there, you move. But when the boldness is the flesh, you're, you're getting ready for trouble. And, and God would like to kind of go, I know you're not going to be able to handle that, so let's cool it a little bit, shall we? Yeah. Peter begins to swear, and I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Peter's a chicken. And so the rooster crows. How ironic. What a ridiculous animal. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to find a, a Google image of a dignified chicken? <laughs> rooster? Chickens, maybe. You know, sitting on the nest or something. But the roosters, they're just, they just, they look dumb. <laughs> Thank God for this rooster. Thank God for the rooster crows in our life. For the times when we've dug ourselves so deep in, 
We've got ourselves so messed up, we, we, we're kind of beyond being able to get out of it ourselves. And then God all of a sudden sends that, well, rooster, but send, sends that, that thing that he knows will jar us to a place where we go, whoa, what am I doing? Where am I? What have I done? Matthew says that when the rooster began to crow, that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. That was the right thing to do. Not just because he needed to repent, but because he needed to be jarred so much that he got out of there. Got out of that situation. I mean, you know, one moment he's cursing and swearing, I don't know Christ, I don't know who you're talking about, and, then, and, and the next moment he's, he's, he's broken. Praise God for the brokenness when it comes. What it does to us, how it wakes us up, makes us alive. The worship team will come on up. We were all on trial. We are the greedy. We are the disillusioned. We are the fearful. We are the establishment. The religious establishment and, and certainly in a, in a democratic country we're the political establishment as well. You want to make the decision? Take the responsibility. We are the guilty. But you know what? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace is upon him. By his wounds, we're healed. Would you stand with me? those who are going to pray for people come forward and if you're in need of God's grace today if you're in need of God's grace for healing for provision for courage clarity faith redemption I, I, I love Justin talking about people believing that no one's too far gone no one's too far gone if you need something from uh, from our God today you come we'd like to pray with you if you don't let's worship together create an atmosphere for those for those who do
Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world to make the wounded whole to redeem that which was lost to bring life and light to that which is dead and dark and cold may his purpose rest upon you and be manifested in you and may those around you See the salt and light of those who follow our Lord Jesus Christ.